This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a 1,000 tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A. bid on Ruby developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average Ruby developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary offer of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they give you a $2,000 signing bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the Ruby Rogues link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hire to get a $1,337 bonus if they accept the job. Go sign up at Hire.com slash Ruby Rogues. Snap is a hosted CI and continuous delivery that is simple and intuitive. Snap's deployment pipelines deliver fast feedback and can push healthy builds to multiple environments automatically or on demand. Snap integrates deeply with GitHub and has great support for different languages, data stores, and testing frameworks. Snap deploys your application to cloud services like Heroku, DigitalOcean, AWS, and many more. Try Snap for free. Sign up at snapci.com slash rubyrogues. This episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean is the provider I use to host all of my creations. All the shows are hosted there, along with any other projects I come up with. Their user interface is simple and easy to use, their support is excellent, and their VPSs are backed on solid-state drives and are fast and responsive. Check them out at DigitalOcean.com. If you use the code RubyRogues, you'll get a $10 credit. This episode is brought to you by Braintree. If you're a developer or manager of a mobile app and searching for the right payments API, check out Braintree. Braintree's new V0 SDK makes it easy to support multiple mobile payment types with one simple integration. To learn more and to try out their sandbox, go to BraintreePayments.com slash RubyRogues. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 225 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Jessica Kerr. Good morning. Saranya Bark. Hey, everybody. Coraline Ada Emke. Hello. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. This week, we have a special guest, and that's Ben Browning. Good morning. So, Ben, do you want to introduce yourself? Sure. So, I work at Red Hat. I lead a project called Torpbox, which you'll hear more about in a minute. I'm an active JRuby contributor as well. And I've been at Red Hat for five years now, being paid to do professional open source development. Before that, I've worked in more traditional companies where uh, it's closed source software, Java, Ruby, .NET, but open source is, is where I am now and where I love it. Awesome. Do you want to give us a quick overview of what TorqueBox is? I've used it before. I don't know how many of the rest of the panelists have or our audience have, so I'd like to just kind of give my idea of what it is. Sure. We call TorqueBox a Ruby application server. What it basically is, is we tried to take the idea of Java application servers. Rubyists are obviously not in love with Java, right? They wouldn't be Rubyists. A lot of Rubyists are ex-Java people, but they have a lot of problems that they've solved in Java with application servers. We basically tried to take that and bring it to Ruby in a way that is familiar and comfortable for Rubyists without having to reinvent the wheel to solve the same problems that have already been solved in some of the Java spaces. It's a JRuby project. It only runs on JRuby because we do sit on the JVM to take advantage of Java. But we, we allow you to run Rack, Rails apps on top of Torquebox. There's also libraries for other things if you want to do scheduled jobs or messaging. We have a, we have a lot of these different components that we bring to the table outside of just web. And a lot of our users use us because of the other components. Some of our users just use us for the web bits. Some people are in a position where they do Java at work, right? But they can use Torquebox and it's it runs on a Java server, but it's still Ruby, kind of like a warbler, if you will. It seems like there are 
two or three use cases that I see with people using it. And one is, is that they work in a Java shop. And like you said, they just take advantage of the stuff that's there. It all runs on top of JBoss, you know, so their ops people and everybody else are familiar with it. So they can kind of take advantage of some of the momentum that they already have in the company. And then they just put this stack on top of it. The other use case I see is that people look at TorqueBox they like some of the performance characteristics of JRuby, and they also see that because TorqueBox provides all of these different pieces that they can plug into, they kind of get a lot of their stack more or less for free, and then they just take advantage of the APIs that are provided by TorqueBox. And then the last group, like you said, is just the group that's using it for a web server, and then occasionally they might dabble over into something else. Right, exactly. And and, and the, the last group is actually a, a growing group we've seen but because we do have such good web performance, being on JRuby, having real threads sitting on top of, you know, it's not a new pure Ruby implementation of a web server we've written. We're just adapting to existing high-performing web implementations. So we've actually had a lot of success with our web performance compared to some of the other Ruby servers. And so part of where we're going in the future is to make sure that people that just want the web bits of Torbox can, can get that without having to bring in all the other bits that they might not want or need at the moment. Are, are there benchmarks for that? I'm really curious. There are. We did a pretty exhaustive benchmarking test. It's a couple years back now, so it's pretty out of date. The latest benchmarks I've seen, and I'll have to get you a link, is a Tech Empower is kind of a third-party they're not affiliated with Red Hat at all. They're not affiliated with uh, Ruby at all. They're, they benchmark lots of languages and frameworks, and they have a benchmark. And we, a while back, transitioned all of their JRuby benchmarks to run on top of TorqueBox 4, which is still in beta. It's, it's not actually completely released yet. But when we did that, we've gotten TorqueBox performance for some of the basic rack apps on par with some languages that you would expect, like Go and and other things. And I'll, I'll get you a link for that to show that. But so our web performance has been doing really well. The Torbox 3, which is our current stable version, is not as fast as Torbox 4, but it's still very fast. People tend to try us out and we perform favorably compared to a lot of MRI-based servers. I'm curious, what was the genesis of the project? That's a great question. So I lead Torbox project. I've led it for about three years, but I did not start Torbox. I did not create Torbox. Torbox was created by Bob McCorder, who is my boss. Bob also was instrumental in the creation of Groovy and Drools. If you've ever heard of the Drools Java, like business rules project. And so he started Torbox. I don't know the exact reason he started Torbox. I can speculate that it's he worked for JBoss at the time. Uh, I actually think he may have been on a sabbatical even at the time. But the idea of the JBoss application server in Java solves a lot of these problems in other languages like in Ruby or, you know, in Rails specifically, we're seeing kind of reinventing of the wheel. And it takes years and years to get to a mature solution for something that it's already done in another language and it's mature. It's just that it's another language and it has baggage associated with that. So the idea was, can we utilize what's already there from another language without the baggage of having to let users deal with XML files and that kind of stuff that usually comes in the Java world? And so it used to be called JBall's Rails, I believe. And then about uh, six years ago, it renamed to Torbox and became an official project of Red Hat's. And JBoss is also a Red Hat project, right? That's right. Red Hat bought uh, JBoss. Uh, JBoss. When we say JBoss, JBoss is actually used to be its own company, and they had a flagship product called the JBoss Application Server. And Red Hat acquired them several years, many years back. It's before my time. 
so when you hear JBoss, usually people are referring to the JBoss application server, which is mm-hmm. definitely a Red Hat project. Nowadays, that's actually called Wildfly, W-I-L-D-F-L-Y, Wildfly. They renamed to Wildfly for the community version. And as we do at Red Hat, we also have a supported version that they call JBoss Enterprise Application Server. And Torbox builds on top of those bits. We build on top of the community bits since Torbox is a community project to ship our code. Yeah, that makes sense. Back before I started programming professionally, I worked in IT at Brigham Young University, and they were a big Red Hat, Linux, and JBoss shop for all of their assets. So, Yes, we have a lot of customers are, are pretty big shops. It's kind of the challenge of Torbox and, and Ruby, right? Is that a lot of a lot of Ruby shops are not the giant corporate shops. All of that's changing, and, and we've seen that changing in the last several years. So it's an interesting balance to walk between corporate developers and attracting the startups in Ruby that want to write code. And like I said, we I think JRuby has probably helped a lot here getting Ruby into the the enterprise and the corporate environment. Why is it called Torquebox? I actually don't know if I know the the genesis of the name. <laughs> I think box has to do with everything's kind of all in the tin, like everything. The idea is everything you should need to write a, a moderately complex application, not just you know the the demo, but actually when you need cron jobs and messaging and all that kind of stuff. So I think the box is everything's in the tin. I I don't know exactly where the torque came from, whether it denotes power or whether it was just a fun word. <laughs> yeah, it seems to me that the the word torque implies leverage. You think of applying torque as increasing your speed of rotation. That's a great explanation. Yes, I'll, I'll have to use that from now on. It's <laughs> increase your speed of development. Apply leverage to your development process with torque box. That's pretty catchy. Make it turn faster. I just get dizzy. So Ben, I'm curious, do you see most of the adoption being Ruby shops that want to take advantage of JRuby, or do you see an equal amount of um, adoption by Java shops who are interested in getting started with Ruby projects? We have a mix of both. We have quite a few Ruby shops that were small and, and they were hitting scaling problems with Ruby. They were on MRI or they were on JRuby, but they were using another web server, whether it was using Warbler and Tomcat or whether it was Puma or something else. And most of our customers seem to be, well, not customers, most of our users seem to be people that have scaling issues with Ruby and they want something to help solve that. And so it's kind of an even blend. And that's another point to the fine line we have to walk is that how Torquebox appeals to the Java developer wanting to try Ruby is a lot different than how Torquebox should appeal to the Ruby developer that's used to MRI. You know, Java developers are used to application servers and containers. Ruby developers are used to just gem install and and, you know, rail server, and that's it. And I think we're swinging more towards the Ruby side now, where with Torbox 4, I can talk about more th- about that in a little bit, but it's a major change for us in kind of direction. And we're really trying to focus more on the embedded use case, the Ruby developer that wants a familiar development feel to how they get with Puma or Thin or Passenger to some extent or Unicorn, where it's just install some gems and go. So I, th- I think that's where we're moving towards, but we have had a lot of interest from the Java shops in the past. And I actually think we're probably, you know, Java people wanting to learn Ruby probably don't try us first. They probably try Warbler first would be my guess, just because then they can directly run that on Tomcat or Glassfish or JBoss application server or whatever they're already running. And that's probably the path of least resistance for those Java shops. 
That's interesting that you have like multiple audiences that you're trying to help the Java to Ruby and the Ruby to JRuby performance levels. Do you find that that affects how you write your documentation? It does. And like I said, it's been a tough balance and we're not sure we even have the balance right yet. But previously our documentation was all written in docbook XML format, which makes a giant manual basically. And And then we've since moved to writing documentation basically as markdown and mainly as, you know, actual documentation on our methods in our Ruby API itself, you know, and actually just using Yardoc to generate a lot of our documentation now. So it is hard because the Java users kind of expect one thing and Ruby users expect another thing. And like I said, I think we're mainly trying to focus now on the Ruby users because Java users that want to use Torquebox have to learn Ruby anyway. And so I think if they want to come to Torbox and it's familiar from a Ruby standpoint, then that helps them also learn the Ruby culture versus trying to make everything look and feel Java-ish. You know, the A, that alienates our Ruby users, and B, that doesn't do a whole lot to help immerse people transitioning from Java to actually tr- immerse themselves in the Ruby culture and development. I'm, I'm a little curious, if somebody has an existing Rails app, what are kind of the red flags or smells or problems that they're going to see that they may want to explore TorqueBox to solve? Just from a pure performance standpoint, if you're making lots and lots of Ruby processes, and this will go really from a generic MRI to JRuby, if you find yourself using lots and lots of Ruby processes, you probably have a lot of memory overhead. And I've seen that you can save a lot of memory by moving to JRuby because we can use threads, we can use a single JRuby runtime and let a thousand threads go in there and, and work. You know, and, and, and there are some caveats around, well, you have to make sure that the code that you've written in your Ruby app is thread safe. That's not always a concern for Ruby developers. You have to make sure your gems are thread safe, which is pretty common now for most gems to be thread safe, but you still run into issues sometimes. So that's just from a pure web performance standpoint. Sometimes on a server, you can save gigs of memory if you're running lots of Ruby processes versus moving to the JVM and running a single process. Not only that, but once you start having a lot of pieces cobbled together, you know, our typical example is you've got rescue or delayed job or some other external, maybe sidekick, right? Some other external processing your jobs. You've got your web processes, whether that's on, you know, Puma or Unicorn or whatever that's on. Then you've got cron daemon set up where you've got some external scheduler process and then you've got like God or Monet to handle some other long running Ruby process that runs in the background. Once you start having a lot of those pieces, that's really where, from a standpoint of using all the features of Torquebox, we can help reduce the complexity by getting it, everything in one JVM, one process. And, you know, we can run your schedule jobs for you. We can do messaging for you. And and we have not only messaging in the traditional sense, but there's also a uh, background job abstraction to make it a little simpler than having to actually send and receive messages. You can just background work, and we do that transparently for you underneath. And then long-running services. And, and we even have built-in things you can't get from Ruby. Like you can't get, I don't know of any Ruby server, at least that does, clustered sessions where you don't have to set up an external database. You don't have to set up an external memcache. The actual process, the Torquebox processes themselves talk to each other, and we can cluster web sessions back and forth. And that's some of the Java technology we can use. We have some smart load balancing integrations where if, if you were willing to use a Java-based, well, an Apache module called Mod Proxy, it talks to the Java-based agent in Torquebox, and it does some smart things for knowing when a server goes down or if you just employ one app but leave another app running in the server and that kind of stuff. 
So our use case is mainly from, you know, you're in production and you start running into these scaling headaches where you want clustering or you want failover or you're having a hard time managing all these different processes. Right. And all of that stuff is handled by the Java ecosystem with JBoss and some of the other things like you talked about. Right. And and it, it does come at a cost, right? Like it's, you know, when you start talking about all these different things, it's not free. You do have to learn more about there's a lot of more knobs you can tweak on the Java side of things because Java developers and especially Java operations people seem to love to tweak knobs. So there is a nice thing in the simplicity of keeping everything separate where everything's just a tiny little package that in and of itself is simple. But sometimes when you add too many simple things together, the, the entire suite becomes a little more complex. And so then that's usually where I'd say if you're reaching a complexity with your stack where all these individual pieces is hard to keep them coordinated and working together – that's a time where it's good to take a look back and say, maybe I should look at an integrated solution that, you know, and then everything's in one process. Everything's configured the same way. I've now got to learn, you know, instead of learning how to configure rescue, I've now got to learn how to configure Hornet Q, which is the Java library that underlies our messaging. So you've, you've got to be willing to learn some of these job things. It's, that's kind of the, no matter how hard we try at the end of the day, somebody in production has to know how to tune the Java pieces up the stack. You said something interesting there as you're talking about taking a bunch of small pieces and putting them into one thing, like you're moving away from the buzzword of microservices, of small things that are in themselves simple toward a monolith of moving everything into one. But yet this particular monolith has clustering and failover and all of those things that we always talk about with microservices built in. So you're actually making it more safe it's together. I, right. We have that a lot. And there is the application server in Java, which is considered a monolith, right? It's It's got all these things in there. But what you're seeing in the Java world is if you take a project like Wildfly Swarm, which is also created by my boss, Bob McWhorter, that takes a Java application server container and breaks it down into a microservice-friendly a thing where you can just create executable jars that just do one piece of so it's still the application server and you can still you know it's still all integrated well together but you can choose to just use bits and pieces of it and that's kind of what we've done with Torbox 4 which is is not finished yet it's development always takes longer than i guess you think when you do a big rewrite but the idea that we still have all of these as we provide but now you can pick and choose and you don't have to run them all at once but they're still all an integrated piece that work well together. So you can have just one process running if you want to that just does messaging or you can just use web over here. But they still know how to talk to each other. You don't have to learn five different systems. You can just learn the Torquebox API and use it across the board. So it, we, we kind of offer you either way. Up until Torquebox 4, we were pretty much a monolith. But with Torquebox 4, we give you the option to have your monolith or to do your microservices. But either way, you can use the same API for the app. Nice. I think this illustrates that the big monolithic Rails app, the problem isn't inherent in its one process. It's one big unit. Because in Torquebox, you've got, yeah, you can run it all in one big unit. But that unit is built for scalability. And it's built for reliability and it's built for modularity even, especially in Torquebox 4. Yes. And we've had some users ask us if Torquebox 4 is vaporware, like Half-Life 3 or something maybe. But Torquebox 4 has been in development for a while now. And that's it's a big change. For those that aren't familiar, Torquebox 1, 2, and 3 was entirely 
dependent upon the application server. And we bundle the application server, JBoss application server, and we bundle JRuby and all of our bits all in a giant like 170 meg zip file you downloaded. And it had scripts in there to run it. And that's more on the Java end of the spectrum. Right? Java people didn't really mind doing that, but Rubyists were like, what do I do with this? You know, where's my Ruby gem? So, well, with Toolbox 3, we slimmed that down to be like 60 meg, but it was still the same installation process. With Toolbox 4, everything is a Ruby gem. That's it. You just gem install whatever, Toolbox. And then what we do is if you want to run inside an application server, then you can download Wildfly application server, and we'll create a WAR file, and you can drop it in your server. Or if you want to, you install your own JRB, whatever JRB version you want. So we don't have to ship a new toolbox every time there's a new JRB release. You can then use JRB 9 or JRB 1.7. So that's a nice change of pace. And the other thing we do is you can create an executable jar file too. So we can run completely outside of your container, just executable jar. And what we do is we take the components that make up the container, the Java container. Uh, we take the components that provide the web and the caching and the messaging, and we just embed those Java libraries directly into our jar file without bringing the entire container infrastructure. So we kind of give you a whole continuum. You can run your app as a WAR file in a container, and maybe as a WAR file in other containers. That's something that we're evaluating, and I think there might be a desire from the community that take my Torbox app, make a WAR file, and not only run it in Wildfly, but let me run it in Tomcat. Let me run it in Glassfish. So we're looking into what that would mean. For the Rubyists who are maybe frightened by, oh my gosh, listen to all those Java words. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. You find jar and war. And- sure, sure. No, I, t- I take it for granted because uh, I live in JRuby all day. Jar file is a Java application archive, I think, or Java archive. And it's kind of like the Java version of a gem, of a Ruby gem if you will. It's just a bundle of Java code and properties files and you know code and data. A WAR file is a web application archive. It's basically the same thing, except with a little bit different format, and it's designed to run in Java application servers. So with Toolbox 4, you can create these Java jar files and WAR files. And the advantage there, the reason why you would want to do that, right? Like if you, if you just give somebody your, your Ruby app that runs on Toolbox, they can run it without having any jar files or WAR files, any of these Java stuff. But what they'll have to do is they'll have to, you know, the, the typical Ruby setup, they'll bundle install and, and then rail server, right? And that can fire up Torbox and run their app just like a Rubyist is used to. The reason we provide the other options is that you can create this jar file and give it to somebody and all they need is a JVM. And then they can just execute, the, they can run the jar file. They don't have to have Ruby installed. They don't have to have gems installed. They don't have to deal with any of that. They just run the jar file through the JVM. And it'll run your app. So it's it's a kind of a neat way to distribute apps written in Ruby to someone that doesn't have to know it's written in Ruby. They just need a JVM and they can run your app. Is there a build process to get the jar file? There is. We have a command in one of our gems. It's called Torbox Jar. And all it does is it takes your app, packages it up into a jar file. It takes your JRuby installation, packages that up into the jar file as well because we have to have a JRuby to run everything. And so you end up with this jar file that maybe 20 meg or 50 meg or however big, depending on how big your app is. And that has everything it needs to run just with a JVM without having to have JRuby installed, without having to have gems installed separately. Yeah, jar uh, files can be a little confusing because there's like multiple different kinds. A jar could contain a library. It could be just a bunch of classes that you can then import and use in your app. 
or it could contain all of its dependencies as well. And it could contain configuration to say, here's the main method, and then it can be executable as an application on its own. Right, correct. And then the war file, I believe that just adds some metadata for the application container? That's correct. It, it basically adds an XML file. For, it doesn't have to be an XML file, but the war file just adds metadata. It's typically in the form of an XML file or some other things. There's a couple other layout conventions in the war file as far as where you place the classes, but our users don't have to worry about that. But all it means is it creates a file that is a standard that Java application containers can read and run as a web application. So you, most containers, you put this war file in a certain directory and now it deploys your application for you. Our war files only work with Wildfly right now, which is the successor to the JBoss application server. But like I said, we, we've had some interest and we technically know how to, to do it. So we may spend some time trying to get them working other places in an effort to encourage adoption from people that for some reason don't want to run Wildfly. Like we have a lot of users that, you know, I'm stuck on Tomcat, but I'd like to use it. And currently you can't run our stuff on top of Tomcat, which is a, another popular Java application server. So we want to make sure that the Java users can run us on whichever server they really need to. For Ruby users, none of this really matters. You can just treat us like, you know, like I said, you can just add some dependencies to your gem file, Rails server, and it'll run Torbox, and you don't have to worry about any of this. So if I'm setting things up then to deploy this, you said that you the war files will only run on wild wildfly, is that what it is? That's correct, yes. So do I I have to have a server set up somewhere, not just with the JVM installed, but actually with Wildfly on it. And then the deployment process is just copy the war file up and tell it that it's there. If you're using the war file, I would only suggest to use these war files if you already are using Wildfly. That's the difference. You don't have to have Wildfly to run Torbox applications. But if you have Wildfly, which a lot of people do, we make it so that you can bundle up your Ruby app as a war file and just you put it in a certain directory in Wildfly or use their administrative tools to deploy that war file and it'll deploy the application for you. But if you don't already have Wildfly and you don't have a reason to want Wildfly, then we also allow you to just, like I said, either you make it into an executable jar file, and that means that you can just, all you need is a JVM. Or if you're only deploying, you know, your only audience are Rubyists, then it's easy enough to just distribute the app as you would any other Ruby app, whether it's just the source tree, basically, on disk. And you tell your users to bundle and install and then, you know, bundle exec rail server and, and off you go without having to deal with any Java side of things at all. Oh, gotcha. So you can actually set this up with like Passenger or run, you know, TorqueBox on a JRuby instance and it'll just do its thing. Right. I haven't tried it with Passenger, but TorqueBox definitely can just run, you know, you just, you need JRuby installed and then you can just run TorqueBox without having to deal with any of the Java application servers. Now, if you are using the jar file or war file, does that include, or does that package up all of your static assets as well? So, you know, you compile your SCSS or SAS into CSS, you compile your CoffeeScript or whatever else you're using into regular JavaScript, you have your image files, and it just packages all that into the jar file or war file as well. We have some options when you create the jar and war files as far as what to include and not include. And I'm actually not sure at the moment if we do the asset compilation. Obviously, we should. But like I said, Torbox for us still in beta, and we have a ways to go there. I'll have to look and see. But things like that are where we, the reason we're still in beta, we've got to fix these kind of things for actual production usage. 
and none of this talk of WAR file or JAR files applies to the previous stable releases of Torbox. It was all a giant zip file you download and run, and it does for sure have tasks for pre-compiling assets. With Torbox 4 is basically, you know, I'd love to get some volunteers from the community helping us do these things so that I don't work full-time on Torbox. I do get paid to write open source software, but I'm not paid to full-time work on Torbox. So it'd be great to have some community volunteers, you know, if you want to add to our asset compilation step and stuff like that, it'd be appreciated. If someone wanted to help out with Torbox, how much background would they need in both Java and Ruby? What can people do that's like approachable? Sure. A lot of Torbox is written in Ruby and a lot of it's written in Java. There's kind of a clear delineation. So in the case, the example of asset compilation, tasks like that, things that happen when you're building the jar file, all that happens in Ruby other than the actual final step of writing out the jar file itself. But everything as far as which files should we include in the jar file, what command line flags do we have for this command, all that kind of stuff. All of our command line tools are all written in Ruby and use the Ruby option to parser opt parse, parse options. So it's all very approachable Ruby code. If you want to get into the guts of the actual running server itself, there's going to be at least some Java involved. So the easiest thing, if you just want to help out and only know Ruby, is to help with these command line tools, adding extra options for jar creation, stuff like that. If you're willing to learn Java or you already know Java, then there's a lot that you can do to help out with Simple things like we have some features that exist in Torbox 3 that don't yet exist in Torbox 4 just for lack of time at the moment. And so it'd be great to have anybody that knows Java that can help port features over. Um, if you don't know programming at all and want to help, our documentation could always use help. Migration guides, that kind of stuff. You know, I think we have a task that probably anybody with any skill level could do. And if you know Ruby and or Java, then obviously that's a bonus. And some things, there are some tasks that you really are going to have to know the guts of the underlying technologies that build up the Wildfly application server. And so for some of those, some tasks are going to require a lot of in-depth knowledge that not everybody would have. But if you have a basic understanding of Java or Ruby, you can help out with most things. What kind of involvement do you see from the open source community? We haven't had a lot of involvement lately. So what? how Torbox started is it was basically a Red Hat-driven project. We had a team of four or five engineers paid by Red Hat you know, we evolved Torbox and we had a lot of users and we still have a lot of users. But over time, the number of people paid to work on Torbox full time has diminished. And so now we're trying to reach out more of the community. And, and I think part of it is we had a lot of community, you know, pull requests with simple things. Other than one or two, we never had very many non-Red Hat actual contributors to the code, actual people involved in the day-to-day rolling of the code. And it could be that maybe all of us being Red Hat employees maybe gave the impression that it was like a, a sacred cow or something that maybe outside people couldn't touch, but that's not at all the case. So we've had some discussion on the mailing list about opening things up, getting people more involved with Torbox itself. We have a lot of users still, and we always have a lot of users looking for support as well. So there's plenty of opportunity here as well for some people to learn Torbox and offer support services to some of our users. It's something that I or Red Hat don't provide at the moment and would be a, a, a great benefit to the community as well. If somebody doesn't even want to write code, but they are great at you know, helping find and fix problems, and there's always that avenue as well. When you think about the future of Torquebox, do you see it becoming more of an open source community-led project, or do you think it'll always kind of take the lead and be home at Red Hat? Well, Red Hat, I'm sure, would always be willing to provide us resources as far as CI and, and websites and all that kind of stuff. But I would love for, similar to, if you look at JRuby itself, right? 
Red Hat employs some of the JRB developers, but there are a lot of people that contribute to JRB that work for other companies, that work you know outside of Red Hat. And I'd love for Torbox to be the same way. From a pure standpoint of we could get more done faster, you know, we could get Torbox 4 out the door and better. And also I, I see a big need in the JRB community to have a high performance well-maintained server. There's kind of a gap there right now. There's a lot of servers that work on JRuby, but some of the more popular ones don't have the best performance on JRuby, and it's mainly because it's a lot of work to maintain a high